0: Well, good evening. I was promised that Stations of the Cross was quite a big deal at St. Mary's, so I am pleasantly surprised to see the good crowd. I don't know if you guys normally sit during this portion or stand, but you can sit. I'm quick, but I'm not that quick. (laughs) I will record this. Some people asked if I would record it. Specifically, my mother asked me to record it. So yes, mother, I am recording this. And I also gave you guys a handout um, because I thought it'd be nice. First of all, I'd like to thank Stephen Shoemaker for playing the organ tonight. The Stabat Mater at the Cross for Stacey's Keeping is actually my favorite hymn. I have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. And at the bottom of my chalice, it says there's a message from my parents with all our love. And it says the date I was ordained. But there's also a Latin verse from that hymn and a literal translation of the Latin would be, wound me with your wounds, and may I be inebriated by your blood. Wound me with your wounds, and may I be inebriated by your blood. So I get to see that every time I lift up my chalice, which reminds me of the Mass. In terms of what I prepared for tonight is St. Thomas said that the passion of our Lord was sort of the perfect example of every virtue. And so Thomas would go through and he would name various virtues which our Lord showed, such as his love, such as his mercy. So I figured for each week of Lent, I would sort of pull out one of the virtues which I think the stations of the cross exemplify in a profound way. And I would sort of lay it before you. But I would also give you a lot of scripture text with kind of a brief outline around it. Because one of the things I've been pondering is I've been telling you guys to pray holy hours and to make mental prayer, and to do all these things. And they are good things, and I hope you do them. But if I'm going to ask you to pray holy hours, then I am also under the responsibility and the duty to give you materials to sort of facilitate your prayer. And so I hope you take this sheet with you over the course of the next week, and you pray with the various scripture verses in your holy hours, on your lunch breaks, etc., And you can kind of use it for your own prayer, your own inspiration, and your own growth in the various virtues. And so the first virtue I picked, because it's the one I think that the Stations of the Cross exemplify maybe most profoundly, is patience. And specifically, the patience of God, but then also our patience. And so if you think of the patience of God, you will notice some things in the Old Testament. And I mentioned first that God affirms his justice in sacred scripture while not taking into account the sins committed during the divine patience. And so there's always a movement in the Old Testament that God is patient and God will forgive sins. But God is also just and God also leaves the guilty unpunished. So when the Lord introduces himself to Moses, we see that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So again, you see the dynamic. God affirms that he is merciful, but also affirms that he is just. And so Paul, when he reflects upon the Old Testament, as we see in Romans, he kind of views the Old Testament as this time of divine patience. God is aware that there is sin in the world, but God is not going to sort of drop the hammer on it yet. What God is waiting to do is manifest his mercy and his justice, his salvific justice in Christ. And so when Christ comes... We see the mercy of God because Christ died for your sins and died to take away your sins. That's merciful. But we also see the justice of God because when you see Christ bloodied and beaten and dying, you see the divine justice for your sins. You see that sin's the real deal. God truly takes sin seriously, so much so that he was wounded because of it. And finally, in the Old Testament, you will notice that God's patience Patience is never a sign of weakness. God doesn't let sin go because he is powerless. It's the exact opposite. The patience of God is always seen as a call to conversion. So Joel says, return to the Lord. There's your call to conversion. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. The reason you should repent is because God is patient and he's waiting for you. And then Jesus Christ comes. And everything which Jesus Christ does reveals to you something about the Father. That's one of the reasons why he came, because God the Father got tired of telling mankind how much he loved them and mankind not believing him. So he says, all right, fine, I will show you. I will show you, human, how much I love you by dying for you so that you see my blood and you see my wounds and you know I love you. And so Jesus comes and shows his mercy. When his disciples want to call down fire from heaven, as we see in Luke chapter 9, the Lord rebukes them. And he says, no, no, no! don't do that. We also see sort of the parable of the prodigal son. Once again, Jesus is revealing to you something about God the Father. God the Father waits for you as if you were his prodigal son. And when you return to him, he embraces you the same way that the Father embraces the prodigal son. Then, of course, Christ dies, rises, and ascends into heaven. And he sends out his apostles to preach. Then his apostles begin to preach. And one of the questions you see them having to deal with is people say, well, wait a minute. You guys have been preaching that Jesus Christ will come again. Why has he not come again? It's a fair question, right? 2,000 years later, you could still ask the question. Why did Jesus Christ, why has he not come a second time? And you see 2 Peter, chapter 3, he gives the reason. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise." as some count slowness. He's talking about the promise of the second coming. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So again, Peter is saying the reason why the Lord has not come is so that more and more people can repent and believe in the gospel. And the reason why God does not immediately strike people down when we commit sin and cast us into hell after one sin, which we would merit and we would deserve, the reason he does not do that is because he is patient. So the reason God did not strike me down in my early days when I had turned away from him is because he was patient, because he continues to call me with divine grace, He continues to sort of try and beat his word into my head, which is very hard to do because I have a thick skull. But eventually, as we see, divine grace was able to penetrate even the Kevlar of my skull and call me back to him. All of that was a mark of divine patience. He did not strike me down because he waited and continued to call me. And then you also see how tragic it is if we do not respond to the calls of God. Because every day, every moment of our life, God is calling us again and again and again to conversion. And again and again and again to love him and to know him and to be closer to him. And yet, we are often too slow to respond. All right. And finally, you see the apostles also preaching, as I mentioned in letter B here, that if God's patience is scorned, then we store up a treasure of wrath. As Paul says, but by your hard and impenitent impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Again, God continues to call and continues to be patient. And if we continue to resist, then we just store up for ourselves sort of the divine wrath because eventually there will be a judgment. And eventually we have to appear before the throne of God and give an account of our lives. So we will not escape. So again, he calls again and again and again waiting and we should respond. So there's the patience of God. And then we are supposed to imitate Christ as he constantly tells us. And so it's worth reflecting upon our own patience because we live in a fallen world and we live in a world where there is chaos and there is evil. And that means we have to demonstrate patience. We have to be steadfast. And so, when the apostles encourage people, and when sacred scripture encouraged people to be patient, they mention a few things. The first is they say that we should take as our example the holy men of old, as James says. Take it as an example of suffering and patience the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, the Maccabean martyrs, Jeremiah, you see the prophets having to endure adversity for the sake of God. And so, if we're enduring adversity for the sake of God, we're in good company. We're in the company of the prophets. But ultimately, the patience we must imitate the most is that of Jesus Christ, right? No servant is greater than his master. And so if Christ suffered, if Christ had to bear his cross at every station, as we just looked at, then we should not expect ourselves not to escape the cross. And so we have to imitate the patience of Christ. In fact, Christ, when his apostles are still trying to figure out what to do with the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, he says to them, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Was it not necessary? As Fulton Sheen says, there is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. If we wish to come to the resurrection, we have to go through the cross. And again, Peter says that we have been called to this because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. You know the path to eternal life. It is the footsteps of Christ. But Christ does not leave us alone. We are encouraged throughout the New Testament to draw strength from Christ. Christ is not just for us an example. Christ is the source of grace through which we get the strength to follow Christ. So Christ leads the way and says, follow me. And then we try and follow, but ultimately Christ gives us the grace to follow him. It's sort of like a parent. You want your kids to walk up the stairs. You don't just walk up the stair and then turn around and expect them to follow if they're unable. Instead, you tell them to walk up the stairs. You reach down, you grab their hand, and you lead them up the stairs. That's what Christ does. And so Paul, in his letter to the Hebrews, he says, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Christ is the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, and we should set our eyes upon him. And ultimately, by sharing in the sufferings of Christ, we are led to an intimate knowledge of Christ. In sacred scripture, the idea of knowledge is very, very rich. It's not just knowing facts about something. It implies sort of this existential relationship. So for you to know somebody in sacred scripture, you have to enter into a relationship with them. You have to experience them. You have to experience who they are. And so for us to know Christ, we have to sort of enter into his life, which means we have to feel what he felt. And that includes the cross. And so Paul in Philippians says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul wanted to conform himself so much to Christ that he wanted to feel what Christ felt, to endure what Christ felt, and to be united to Christ. And so Paul talks about how he manifests in his own body, probably a reference to the stigmata, the very wounds of Christ. Paul was so conformed to Christ that he had his very wounds in his body. And then Paul also points out that by bearing these sufferings, he testifies to Christ. It's one thing to preach something. Anybody can go around and preach Christ. But Paul endured beatings and imprisonment and tortures. That's a strong testament for Christ. Because Paul claimed that he had seen the risen Lord. And if Paul was lying, he probably would not have endured what he endured but the fact that he endured it and persevered in it shows that he was convicted of seeing the risen Christ. And then ultimately, all of this patience, all of this endurance on our part leads to perfection. And so James says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Can you imagine that? You get a trial and you consider it nothing but joy. I usually pout for at least 24 hours. And then, I don't consider it joy yet, but I just put up with it. And then he continues. Because you know that the testing of your faith through trial produces endurance or patience. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. It's like gold in the fire. It is purified and it is made firm. So are we in the Christian life, purified and made firm in the fire of tribulation. And then... The great reward, as Paul mentions, that sharing in Christ's suffering leads to a sharing in his glory. During the funeral rites, one of the prayers references the fact that if we become like Christ in death, then we can also become like Christ in his resurrection and in eternal life. And so Paul says, we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The rewards given to Christ we inherit If in fact, he says, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So we suffer with him, so that we may be conformed to him, so that we may be glorified to him. Because remember, Lent does not end on a sad note, right? Good Friday is not the end of what we celebrate, it's ultimately Easter Sunday. And then, finally... We are encouraged by God to imitate his patience in our dealings with one another. And so you see in sacred scripture, when we are patient with one another, it's sort of praiseworthy. The book of Proverbs says, one who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one whose temper is controlled is better than one who captures a city. One who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And Paul points out when we are patient with one another, it's actually a manifestation of our love for one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. And Paul sees again, patience as a key component of our Christian vocation because Christ was patient and God was patient with us. So we have to be patient with one another. As we reflect more and more upon our sinfulness, then we reflect more and more upon God's patience. And then we can be patient more and more with one another because we realize, well, maybe they're bothering me, but... I sinned against God for 10 years and he didn't strike me down. And so Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling, the vocation, to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience should be one of the key hallmarks, the key marks of the Christian. And in this way, We can fully imitate Christ who said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls.